Hey, what's up, what's good? Welcome to Showtime Balling, Balling at All Levels, New Zealand's basketball podcast, and welcome to the Coaching Collective. The Coaching Collective has been created as a resource for coaches who are looking for more information and more tips and hints from established coaches around New Zealand. Now, in this episode, we are going one-on-one with the super basketball brain of Zico Coronel. Yes, head coach Zico talks about how to prepare for an upcoming season or campaign in your program. Without further ado, let's go. Welcome to our show, Showtime Balling, Balling at All Levels. This is a part of our new segment that we're rolling at the moment, is a part of the coaching collective. And I believe there's a lot of coaches that need help throughout, assistance throughout the country of New Zealand, even across the world. But in this episode, we're speaking to, <laughs> needs really no introductions, one of the best coaches within New Zealand, Zico Coronel. Kia ora, Zico, how are you doing? Thank you very much for having me and really excited about hopefully creating a resource that can be beneficial to New Zealand coaches. Yes, it's definitely something that, you know, like we get the opportunity to tap into the mind, of, you know, of all the creative coaches around New Zealand, but more, more than so, you know, like yourself. Um, yes, it's going to be a great episode and more to come. Looking forward to listening to some of them. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. The topic for today is how to prepare your upcoming season or campaign. So, Zika, let's just break it down first. Uh, this is a pretty simple question to answer, but how important is preparation prior to your um, campaign or season? I think it's very, very important to have a clear endpoint in mind that you want to achieve with your team, and then you work backwards. Uh, what are the specific things you need to do to build towards that point? For sure, like um, and another question is, I would say is, how early is the best time to actually start within planning for your next season? Is it as early as when your season finishes, or is it kind of give yourself a little bit of mind space before you start into the next kind of phase into pre- preparation? I think that is obviously going to be a little bit individual in how you mentally and psychologically cope with the prior season. And it could be appropriate that you take a few weeks or a month to be away from basketball and maybe do some different things, whether that's, you know, getting out in nature or reading some books or whatever it may be that you like to do. Um, And for other people, maybe they want to get right onto it. I think the quicker you can get to the point that you're ready to be 100% energized for the upcoming season, the more time you're going to have to be prepared. Uh, so I think, you know, obviously earlier is better than later. Yeah, definitely. Because if you know the personnel that you're going to be dealing with, it's probably early is probably better. And if you've got the energy to start straight away. Well, I think there's phases too. For example, my process would be is that I think you have a, a foundation uh, about your beliefs about how a team should operate, what a team's culture should be like, how you should conduct yourself as a coach, how you want your players to conduct themselves, and you'll have a philosophy about that. Mm-hmm. And you also probably have a belief about how basketball should be best played 
Um, do you believe in playing fast? Do you believe in playing very execution-based? Do you believe in a lot of structure or a lot of freedom and some of those different decisions you have to make on different continuums? And you'll have a belief about optimal culture, optimal strategy, tactics, fundamentals. And then you're critically evaluating every experience you have and constantly ongoing and evolving your beliefs and your philosophies. And that's going to be happening continually. So that kind of becomes a fed foundation, the bedrock for all the rest of your planning. Excellent. Okay, let's let's try and step it by step how we all approach. So where do you start when you're preparing for your upcoming season? What's the first step that you are doing in terms of your planning? So I would start with my prior experience or season, and I would think about all the things that, I feel like I need to learn about uh, whether it's I need to know more content. For example, maybe I felt like I didn't know what to do to burn switching defense and I need to have a better knowledge of that. Or do I need to learn how to be better at teaching a certain aspect? Like I might know how to teach uh, reading screens, but I might know how to read screens, but maybe my players weren't applying it well in the prior season, so I have to think deeply about how that is best taught and how I'm going to be more effective in getting my players to understand and then be able to apply uh, my, my content knowledge. So I would start by making a list of all the things I feel like I need to learn about and improve upon in that off-season going into the next season. And then once I'd identified that list, I'd probably look to uh, prioritize it and what's going to be the most important. And then I would start building a plan uh, how in that off-season I was going to improve in the areas that I've identified. Okay, so <clears throat> what sort of resources are we looking at besides your own knowledge? Where, where are we looking? Are we looking over on the, on the net or are we going to try and, you know, converse with other coaches or you're going to be looking at other teams what what do you need to do if it was uh basketball related so it's fundamentals it's tactics it's strategy then i'm probably going to one there may be coaching clinics that could provide some great information so whether it's a on FIBA's free YouTube channel or whether it's a paid resource like uh, Basketball Immersion or uh, Coaching You. Um, there's obviously also Championship Productions that makes lots of DVDs and now online videos. Maybe they have a couple of really good resources in the topic area that I've identified. So there's those. Um, there's also, I've potentially I'm going to think about what team in the world is one that's good to study. So going into the 2007 rep season, I thought that I was going to have a team with three very, very good players and then potentially a big uh, drop-off because the rest of the team would be very inexperienced as rep players. And so my concern was is that those three New Zealand-level players would be continually playing three-on-five and so I wanted to give them opportunities to play three on three or at least with a bit of space and a numbers parity. So I felt that playing fast was going to be the best way for them to achieve that. And at that time, the best team in the world at playing fast was Mike D'Antoni and Steve Nash's Phoenix Suns. 
And mm-hmm. so I um, was fortunate that while I was away um, from home, mum was recording all the games. And so I had 26 Phoenix Suns games on VHS from those two seasons prior. And so I watched all 26 one time just to kind of get a, a holistic understanding of what they did. And then I went back and watched all 26 again in a more possession uh, by possession, extremely detailed, uh, more minutia uh, focus. And by the end of that process, I felt that I could really understand that system. And then I was also thinking about how best to teach it. And I implemented it with my team and it went very well. And I basically used that system as a basis for almost everything that I've done in the uh, 13 years since. Um, so sometimes there's a great team that you can study and, and learn from. Um, there may be other coaches that you admire that you can study or potentially reach out to and, and, and ask them questions about what they do and how they teach it. Um, and yeah, so I guess it's just trying to identify how you're going to learn about it. Sometimes it's not necessarily like that because if you're thinking about how best to teach something, then it may come from a lot of just deep introspection, uh, thinking, making notes, trying to think of what's the right wording, maybe going back and watching your practices from the prior season that you recorded, analyzing your communication. Was it appropriate? Was it understandable? Uh, So those would be many and many of the things that I would do. Uh, There may be teachers, you know, there may be an outstanding teacher at your local high school. Maybe they teach social studies or something, but you go along and you ask to observe their lessons and you really study how they convey messages to young people. And, Mm. And then you obviously have to have the mental flexibility to apply what you see to a basketball context, but that can be a great learning avenue as well. There's great um, examples of how to start a, a program, as you go. But the other thing that you're talking about is that when approaching oppositional coaches, you probably spoken to a lot throughout this country. How how receptive are they of giving information away or actually conversing and actually talking about you know helping you out from you know from a, another coach's perspective? It's going to be very different based on the person. Some people are extremely cagey, and others are extremely helpful. Uh, You can only but ask, and the worst thing that can happen is they say no, and you haven't really lost anything. Uh, Personally, you know, there's people that I enjoy discussing basketball with, and if I happen to be competing against them, I quite simply don't want to forsake getting to chat hoops with them for 12 months just because of a silly little game we're going to play later in the season. Um, That'll be mostly determined by the players anyhow. So um, I'd like to keep talking basketball with them. And, and, you know, there's a lot of benefit to that. You obviously pick and choose a little bit of what you discuss. Uh, But I I would like to think that we have a coaching community that helps each other. You know, that isn't about being the big fish in a small pond, but wants to help New Zealand basketball as a whole grow and that we all get opportunities in bigger fields through helping each other. Yeah, the other thing too, you're talking about stuff that you needed to work on. Well, what about the stuff that's actually working for you? How much do you actually revisit that 
and try and build on your um, successes? I think that, you know, that comes back to a little bit that belief about how basketball should be played. And, you know, that if that's been successful for you, you most likely are going to continue to do that, but not being complacent about it. You may be still able to teach those things better. And then you also have to consider that your roster may not be the same and therefore you have to evaluate as to whether what was optimal in the past is still going to be optimal now. Mm-hmm. Okay, and let's talk about your roster construction. Uh, what do you need to be doing when you're actually putting your roster together? Is it what's available or what's, are you going to go out and scout whatever needs to be done? What is it? This is obviously one of the areas where uh, it's markedly different depending on whether you're taking a rep team or a high school or whether you have a professional team and the amount of flexibility that you have. But I think you have your optimal belief about the kind of people that you want and the way you want to play basketball. And you're aiming to achieve that ideal. So you're working towards having a team that can be the team of your dreams if you like they conduct themselves in a way that you believe is 100% appropriate and they play basketball in the way that you believe is the most beautiful way it can be played the most effective way that it can be played Um, and so if I had a high school program or a rep program which is probably what most of the coaches listening will be coaching at I mean, that comes down to, of course, what you choose to build and your players over time, whether it's you inherit them, for example, at year nine and you start teaching them certain uh, fundamentals and tactics so that they are progressing towards being players that you uh, believe are optimal. It might also mean if you're in the fortunate position of having uh, really competitive trials with multiple players to pick from uh, and good players are going to miss out, this is how you prioritize what skill sets you are going to uh, give more weighting to when you make your selection. So if you're someone who really loves offensive rebounding, then you might pick the kid who's a great offensive rebounder. If you're someone who values shooting, then a kid who may be limited in some areas, but is a very good spot shooter may stand a better chance to make your team because they are going to make your vision more of a reality, more of a possibility. Yeah, now look, um, let's let's think of it from a, a perspective when I'm a coach and my, my program is not that strong in terms of personnel. My roster is not that deep. What's the, what's the mindset now? Is it going to be the same or um, what, what could you possibly um, give an advice in that regards? I think if your players are not particularly good, then you pick a very, very simple system that is easy to learn in terms of pattern because you're going to want to dedicate as much possible time as you can to player development and helping your players to get better. So you don't want to be spending a lot of time doing 5 on 0 basically wasting your time learning a bunch of patterns that aren't going to work anyhow because your players are not that good. Um, you know, that's that's coaching to try to make yourself look good. And I think at the end of a season, you want people to say they had great players, not that you were a great coach. Um, so I think if that was the case, I would pick something extremely simple. And then I would put all my time into fundamental development and their decision-making and 
and then a lot of scrimmage time, you know, so that they get a lot of experiential learning. Okay, now let's talk about the culture. Nico, this is probably a huge one in regards to what are you trying to put in regards to your negotiables or your non-negotiables? What is it for you? I think that the first thing with culture is the people. And I can remember Tab talking about his dad telling him, you're not Jesus Christ as a basketball coach. Like You're not going to change everybody. So if you bring a bunch of good people together, then generally the culture will be good and then you have to really believe in that. So, you know, if there's a talented player available to you but they're going to be detrimental to the culture, this is when, you know, you really earn your beans as a coach. Like everyone talks about wanting to have a good culture but not everyone does and it's having the kahunas basically to say that person's not good for our culture. I don't care how talented they are we're not picking them and mm. you're wanting to have a great culture. That's how it's going to be. Um, and yeah. And, and just holding people to account with that. Uh, and really when push comes to shove, making decisions that put the principles above all else. Yeah. Cause sometimes that's such a tough situation to be in that, you know, your talented players sometimes can be, like you said, detrimental to your culture. So you've got to have to take a hit some way. If they're not willing to jump into the line with your culture, then like you said again, it's going to be that tough decision or call that will separate them from the team. I mean, I don't think it is actually that tough. If you believe that culture matters, then it's, it's an easy decision. I think you bring them in, one-on-one uh, -on -one meeting, and you sit them down and you explain to them the standards you have for the team and you let them know in no uncertain terms that, that they are not living up to those standards and that if they don't live up to those standards, the next time we meet will be to cut you from the team. I do think it's very important that they are told that their place on the team is in jeopardy if they don't make a behavioural modification. Um, you know, I don't think you just pull it out and they weren't expecting it, you let them know that that will be the consequence and then they will either rectify their behaviour or they will not and then it's a very easy decision. Um, see you later if they don't improve. Now you'll probably put some support structures, maybe some scaffolding in place to help them to live up to it and, you know, and that's when you're starting to talk about the specific nature of how they may be struggling with the culture but I mean, some of the things, it's when you say non-negotiable, it is non-negotiable. If you draw the second defender, you pass to the open man. It's a non-negotiable. It's just not going to fly if you want to shoot it on two people. And if you want to call my bluff on this, this is not a fight you're going to win. I will get fired before I bend. Other things, you're more adaptable. Awesome. So now we've built a little bit of a plan at the beginning. We've got our ideal roster, but now we need to build our system. Now, how important is building the system that relates to your players or to your coaching ability? Well, I think you have your optimal system, which is how you believe basketball should be played. And you've obviously worked towards trying to have a roster that can play in that way. 
if you've realized that idea, great, away you go. You're very going to be a very happy coach. If for some reason you haven't been able to realize that a deal, maybe you want to have a great shooting five man, but one doesn't exist for you or whatever it may be, then you have to think about what adaptations you're going to make. Are you going to ask the player to learn a new skill or change the way they play towards your ideal? Sometimes that is the appropriate course of action. Can they learn that skill in the time that's available to you? Are they willing to make the adaptation? Um, if that, Or are you going to be the one who's going to be adaptable and tailor your system to work on their strengths? I think the younger the player is, you more gear it towards making them adapt to you. And the more experienced the player is, the more likely you adapt to them. I mean, if they've had 15 years, that's turned them into a, a great screen dive center. And then you decide in two months, you're going to turn them into a pick and pop center. You're wasting 15 years of prior development that's led to them being a professional basketball player. They're very good. And you're going to now take them back to something that they're in the beginning phase of doing. It's a big adaptation and you're throwing away a lot of bathwater with, or a lot of baby with the bathwater. Um, younger player, they're more malleable. They're more at the early stage of their growth. And maybe they've got three months of one skill and zero months of the skill you want them to have. You're not that far behind. You can probably mold them to suit what, you believe they need to to do and, and that's very important that it's it's a, it's a role that's going to be beneficial to them you know we're not talking about turning the 6-1 kid into the power center because it's going to help your under 13 team but will also cripple them for the rest of their basketball life it's about doing something that's beneficial for them and beneficial for the group yeah for sure like you're talking about coaches making sure they put the player first before the coach? Or is that, is that what you're trying to say? I think you take into account what is best for the player, especially the younger the team is. Uh, winning under 13 reps really means nothing. Uh, it's about putting the pathways in place and having the players on the right track so that they progress towards the goals they have in basketball. I mean, no one's going to remember uh, the team that used very juvenile tactics and strategies to win but didn't help any of their players go on to achieve their goals later in their careers. Okay, so now we've got these in place. What is the next step after all of this? I think that, you know, you have to plan your tenants, uh, those real core aspects of your system and you can't have very many of them uh you know if you have 20 things that you think you're going to be very very good at as a basketball team this season you're probably going to end up being not very good at any of those 20 you know you've just cast your net too wide you're going to not spend enough time players are going to be confused they're not going to really understand what is of critical importance because you're asking them to remember 20 things or whatever the number might be. So with 2019 Hawks, for example, we had three tenants on offense and three tenants on defense that, you know, the players needed to understand. Um, 
that these are the three things that we're holding our hat on or hanging our hat on. And these are going to be the things that are going to win us basketball games. And yes, there's other aspects of sport, the sport that we're not going to cover. And we might struggle in some of those areas, but we have to be so good at our three tenants on O and our three tenants on D that those will overwhelm any things that we don't cover. And then those become the things that you concentrate on and practice and are the themes for each session. So this session might cover on, you know, one tenant on offense and one tenant on defense. And that's the theme and the whole practice is towards making improvements in our understanding and application towards that theme. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, <clears throat> can you give us a kind of example of tenants for like for offense and defense? So the three themes for the 2019 Hawks on Defense, for example, were up together and defensive rebounding. Uh, and then we unpacked those things. So uh, for up, you know, up and over to the offensive boards, guard who guarded you, back hips contain the ball. Together, pluggers sprint to the line of the ball. So you're getting five people back between the ball and the basket. Tight, your position is your help. And talk, so ELO, early, loud, often, and that results in organization. And then our defensive rebounding procedure. And we picked uh, defensive rebounding uh, because by personnel, we understood it could be a weakness for us, a smaller team that was primarily built to be very good at shooting. So we knew that defensive rebounding could be a weakness for us. And so therefore, we felt we could minimize that uh, by making it a really important part of all our practices and trainings. And uh, at times we did struggle with our rebounding and at other times we were adequate and we kind of eventually found that if we could get over 70% defensive boards, we would um, be in with a chance of winning. And I think ultimately we ended up being a middling defensive rebounding team and that was obviously losing our tallest player for the majority of the season so um, it would have been nice to be even better but we at least got to a point where we were adequate and the reason we put up in and to be aggressive on the offensive boards is that we knew that a lot of the teams in the league would do that and we were going to probably struggle with defensive rebounding so if the, uh, the opponent being aggressive on the offensive boards was going to be a shock to us. We would really find it hard. So by doing it ourselves, we were hoping to basically make our own trainings a preparation for something that we would see with opponents. Um, so we were hoping to create as many reps and habits as we could in those areas. Um, so <clears throat> when you're planning in season to actually build on each of your elements within your um and your tenants, when do you actually put it on the schedule? Like, when do you plan each session? Is there a certain time that you're building it, or, um, or does it actually does this go unfold as the season goes along? So, once I decided what we were going to primarily concentrate on, then my next thing would be to think in some ways in blocks as to when we were going to establish those things. So is this going to be something that's week one of practice? Is it going to be during the preseason? Is it going to be something that, you know, we're going to have to uh, put as a lower priority 
um, and therefore it might come during the season, like you identify, oh, there's an 11-day gap between those two games, so we're going to be able to have two days of recovery after that first game, and then we'll still have nine more days. So we've got a good four or five-day window in there that we can basically treat like a mini preseason and maybe put in a couple of key systematic elements before we start concentrating on that upcoming game in the last few days of that time period. So you've got to look at your schedule and pick up time frames where you might be able to add something major. Um, but when you're talking to tenants, you're really, they are ever present. So you're building them from day one of practice. And by the time you play your first game, you want to have made significant progress in establishing those. Um, and then you keep working on it every single practice because they it's about habituals. And so you really never want to um, disregard any of those aspects. You've identified them as being incredibly important for your team. So you're always hitting on them. Sweet. So, We've got all of this in, in place now. So what would you feel is pretty much the final step before, you know, you, you're rounding off your plan, looking at your season? So then I'd basically list out all the trainings and games and then pretty much start building a skeleton outline of what every training is going to involve and making sure that by certain phases in the season, we've taught all the appropriate things that we need to. So, you know, for example, with offense, Ross McMains and I are constantly discussing, and I think we came up with a pretty good little algorithm, if you like, the other day, which was transition, spacing, triggers, coverage solutions, dominoes. And you can choose to work on any one of those five aspects of offense. And for example, coverage solutions, we're talking about does your team know how to burn aggressive coverages like traps and hard hedges? or switches, do they know how to burn conservative coverages like mush, blue, drops? And, you know, prior to playing your first game, you've really needed to establish that your players know and can apply your tactics for beating an aggressive coverage and beating a conservative coverage. So that would be something that needs to be in place throughout the preseason. You probably won't be perfect at it yet, and you're going to have to keep working at it but that's something that needs to be in place before the first game. And then dominoes is kind of things like driving kick sequences, receiver spots, spacing. That needs to be in place before the first game. What I think a lot of coaches do is, is that they put so much emphasis on triggers, which are basically ways that you force two defenders to guard one offensive player. So we're talking about things like ball screens, handoffs, off-ball screens, but in triggers is basically plays, which are designed series of triggers, and the coaches put so much time into that, but they put little to no time into coverage solutions, maybe a little bit of time into dominoes, and they leave their team really unprepared, and they get to the first game, and they have all these plays, and then the other team does a hard show on the ball screen, and the, their team has no idea how to solve it, and it's a disaster. So, you know, I think the plays can come later. You just need maybe some basic triggers and you can add complexity once the games are in progress and you can always add a few things. But 
and I think that's too often what is concentrated on too much and, and it's not beneficial. <clears throat> so I've, what I'm trying to gather here is probably looking at like when it comes to scenario base, you're really taking away the, the think the thought process from players because they haven't been taught, you know, like I said, basic scenarios when things happen, they only been taught X amount of things, which they're not going to be able to figure out how to play properly. Well, they have to be prepared for the different defensive coverages that they're going to see. And yes, you're trying to get to a point where the solutions are instinctive. And in the early days, they probably won't be instinctive. They're going to have to think about them. And, and that's okay. They're, they're learning. Part of the reason that you are going to play a lot at training is to give them that experiential learning and to try to build their... Um, habits and, and their repetitions and you know you think about scaffolding so first you might start with a two-on-two ball screen drill um, against a drops coverage and they get the most basic things that they have to get right the setup for the ball screen the setup for the screen the most basic of shots that they need to take reads that they need to make and then you might gradually increase that so that they have a bit more variability of passing options. And then maybe you get to the point where it's five on five and you're playing live five on five half court, maybe a very controlled situation. So you know that the ball screen is going to happen and you instruct the defense that they're in drops and then they have to apply the right solutions. And then you maybe do the same process for an aggressive coverage. So like hard show, but now it's very important that you maybe go to a a controlled situation in terms of the ball screen, but now you allow the defense to mix it up so they can show drops, they can show hard show, and the offense is not going to know what's coming. So they have to make visual reads and quick decisions and apply the uh, appropriate coverage solutions. And, you know, and that's how you're kind of gradually building their capability. And now you may go to a more open-ended type game situation so that they don't even know that the ball screens necessarily coming but it will develop and then they got to read the coverage and they might not know what the coverage is going to be and then they have to apply it and so you're gradually making it more and more game-like um, you know gradually taking away the scaffolds until they're a freestanding building nice Zico. um this is a great episode in regards to a lot of, i believe a lot of coaches are going to benefit from the information that you put forth for us and i'm pretty grateful in a sense to you know pick your brain and like I said, again, we earlier in the episode talking about coaches that you know they they are free to give away the information, but some are pretty cagey. But yeah, so before we end off this episode, is there anything you'd like to finalize? I think it would be awesome, and your podcast is going to contribute to this that we build a coaching community community in New Zealand that you know really shares and helps each other and enjoys discussing. Uh, tactics and strategies and how to best help players to be successful and if we do that then all the boats are going to rise with the tide and you know I think you know there's the Fokotoki about us all being in the same walker and you know we're a little country and we're geographically uh, isolated and we have big dreams about what we can achieve in basketball and if we don't help each other, then maybe you become the big fish in New Zealand, but 
you know, there's a wider world of basketball that would be awesome that more of our players and coaches get to experience. And I think if we all help each other, maybe in 10 or 20 years, we can look back and we've got, you know, five players in the NBA and we have five players in the women's NBA and we have even more kids at college and the tall blacks and tall ferns are doing exceedingly well on the world stage. And we have coaches in the NBA and the Euro league and the Australian NBL. And we have a thriving local basketball as well. And I think that's best achieved if we are willing to share and help. So um, hopefully there'll be more great coaches that are willing to come on board on your podcast and, um, and we can pick their brains as well. No, this is definitely a, um, this is definitely a good starting point. Uh, Zico, thank you very much for your time. I'm guarantee I'm going to be coming after you again very soon for more topics that, that are coming up. Um, hopefully you'll be uh, available as you are very busy with what you're doing currently at the moment. Yeah. I mean, more than happy to help and please send through, more uh, thought-provoking topics and, and I'll do my best to provide something that's useful. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, have a good afternoon. Cheers. Yo, that's full time. Thank you for taking a time out with us here at Showtime Balling, Balling on All Levels. This is our podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. We'd like to encourage others to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and also to take advantage and invest in representing our apparel line on Showtime Balling NZ. We'd like to also encourage those ones to keep it grinding, keep moving, and if you want any further information, please do not hesitate to either DM us or PM or get in contact. But hey, without further ado, thank you very much. See you next time.